0: It's Illum Group's Andrea Lay. Views Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Shree, And I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom. And I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. i be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CBG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th. And it's time for the fresh four, four curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. we brought to you through our partnership with RetailWit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news. RetailWit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Sri.
1: In case you're wondering what this background is I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media, as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization of their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding off this is set by Sara Marzano, principal analyst and e-marketer, who advertises the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that will hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea.
2: Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private
0: brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect an in-store retail media network powered by quad graphics. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners. Throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all of the SaveMart companies' approximately 200 stores. This is SaveMart's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats partnership for alcohol delivery eight states. Nearly a 1,000 right age stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience that complements their busy lives on said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the fresh for now. On to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond. Explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I am PVSB, one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. I also moonlight as the Vice President of Partner Strategy and Development at Fetch Rewards, a mobile loyalty platform. As always, I'm joined by my CPG guy's counterpart. He's my West Coast bestie. He's my partner in crime. Please join me in welcoming the man known as Shree. Shree,
1: how you doing? Welcome. Hello. Do I best coast West Coast Bestie? I want to sing for you, man. Dude, we're East Coast
0: West of the, the Tupac and notorious VIP of the CPG big, big, big world. Big
1: that time of the year, man, the the mind is starting to slow down and we're getting ready for the holidays. Xmas is here. Hanukkah is here. Kwanzaa is here. It is rest time. So I'm slowing down, man. How about you? Exactly. I am gearing up.
0: 2022, baby. That's what it's all about. It's going to be a big year for the industry. It's going to be a big year for the CPG guys. I absolutely know that. So many events we're going to, Shree. I, I know that CES is coming up, and there's FMI, and there's, oh my God, grocery shop, and Shop Talk, and NACDS, my goodness. So many events coming up that, that will have us, I think, back in a, a real world as opposed to these virtual conversations.
1: Who are the CPG guys? Do you know them? Do we know them?
0: Who are the CPG guys? I've heard of them. Go for They're you. Them. They're kind of, you know what they get, they, they, they get stopped at. TSA security lines and and recognized restaurants on streets in New York City there's pretty much nowhere the CPG guys can go that that they're not they're not recognized and approached it's uh, uh, now we're talking about ourselves in the third person isn't that horrible listen before we get to our guestria uh, reminder to our audience you can find all of our content uh, particularly our series on the omnis that aired over Christmas week on CPGguys.com. So please join our growing audience by following us on LinkedIn. You can do that by typing LinkedIn in your browser, or if you have it on your mobile device, go and open it up and search for CPG Guys. Hit the blue follow button, and you will see all of the great content we're producing. It's not just links to our podcast, it's articles we think are interesting, content that we're creating. It's just a fun community. And we welcome you to join us. And as John Belushi said, in Animal House, I mean, it don't cost nothing. So why not join? In any event, also rate us on Apple Podcasts by visiting ratethispodcast.comslash cpg guys and click the Apple Podcast platform. We at the CPG Guys are incredibly proud to be partnering with New, the network of executive women. It is a community this mission is to uh, enable gender equality in the workplace. It's born of the CPG industry. We're big fans. In the middle of every Wednesday episode that we publish, there's usually an Easter egg with information and content about new and events that they're sponsoring. Please check it out and also visit newonline.org/cpg. Guys, can you believe that we have we have a little spot, we have a little home on on the site. It's really wonderful. Let's get on to our guest. I met our guest in this episode when I was at Dunhumby and he was at Nielsen. And we had a mutual client called the Coca-Cola Company. I was in the process of systematically winning away as much of the controlled store testing business as I could from his company. Now you think that would have removed me from his good graces, but that is definitely not his style, I can tell you. In fact, I consider him now to be a good friend. Uh, He left Nielsen to join Coca-Cola in what was then known as the Knowledge and Insights Team, where he quickly made a name for himself in bringing forward game-changing shopper market insights that drove the business forward at key customers across Coca-Cola's total portfolio of beverage solutions. He rose through the ranks pretty quickly. He joined in 2013 as a senior manager, and by 2019, he was the VP of digital growth. And more recently, he's been named the VP of e-commerce for North America. Where he has general management responsibilities for all marketing, business development, and commercial functions of the B two B two C digital commerce business. Wow, that's a mouthful. Okay, we'll have we'll ask him about that. Please join Shereen and me in welcoming to the
2: podcast my friend Joe Davis. Joe, how you doing? Welcome. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, Peter, I don't grind axes, so I got over it. You're you're a good friend now. So.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Other, I would say with that beard, you certainly could grind axes. If anyone's watching on the video, uh, Joe has has uh, has uh, perfected his new Colorado lifestyle look with a uh, a full full facial set that that makes him look quite indigenous to that area. But before we dive into the questions, Tree and I have for you today, Joe, it would be really helpful if you gave our audience just a brief overview of of what responsibilities your team has to advance Coca-Cola's e-commerce success in North America?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think beyond the jargon of the b 2 b to c digital commerce uh, mouthful, quite simply, we manage kind of the end-to-end process of how the Coca-Cola company goes to market online across this e-commerce space. It starts with, you know, marketing and creative. We manage our digital shelf. Content needs of the organization flow through that all the way down through setting pricing, building our price architecture for the business, managing customers in some case, uh, like GoPuff, our partners like Instacart, DoorDash, Uber Eats. And then also, you know, the supply chain and franchise management tasks of working back with our, you know, bottling system and our, our distribution network to win in this space. So it's kind of dual role, COE in the case of building best practices, driving associate acumen across our organization more broadly, and then running a business day in and day out. So it's a fun space to be in because you're always learning, but you're also always teaching. And so it's a a great space to be in. Love it.
0: Thank you for that overview. And to our audience, please visit the digital liner notes of this podcast episode. You'll find a link to Joe's profile on LinkedIn, and you can learn a little bit more about his background. But with that, Joe, let's get into the Questions, I'm going to fire up the hot, hot light, shine it right on you. And Shree and I will begin. Yeah, you know, Sri's ready to start the grilling. So, Joe, the pandemic has transformed the way North Americans of all ages and incomes conduct grocery shopping. Would love to hear from you. What are the key capabilities that your team is seeking to enable the Coca-Cola system with? And why do you see these capabilities to be so essential to driving success in e-commerce?
2: We focus a lot on four of them to start. I'd say one of the early ones that I really pushed coming into the team was planning in an integrated way with the rest of the business. You can't long-term operate this as an exception. And there's a lot of strengths to be had in, in doing that integration. It plays to your strengths. It brings them forward to the space. So that would be first. The second was, is we're trying to balance... Our retail media with our own media. When you have power brands like we, we have in our portfolio, there, there is a lot of own media that is extremely valuable in this space and can be leveraged uniquely in the space it has be made transactable, but it has a role to play alongside the capabilities of what we can do in the retail media space as well. That balance is, is crucially important. The third really is around, and I mentioned this as a, an area of responsibility, but the pricing architecture, the construction of that has to start with what the consumer actually wants to buy. And that seems like a duh, but you know, sometimes we've gotten you know, ahead of ourselves and thinking about the nuances and requirements of this space and how to play to some of those nuances. And then you forget that you're, there's this consumer who ultimately needs to buy this product. And is that nuance actually valuable you know, to them? So pricing architecture that starts with what the consumer wants, key capability for our organization. And then the last is, and it's kind of an interesting one to think about, but making our long-range plan everybody's business. Having a long-range plan might be a kind of a novel thing to think about in this space because it's you know, very hard to predict what it's going to look like year in, year out. Uh, but it's crucially important to keep that North Star there because it provides clarity around what you will and will not do. And you know, making sure that that's not just your team's long-range plan, but you're bringing others into it across the organization they can see themselves in it it makes it real and it gets people looking further out past the day-to-day kind of grind block and tackle things that ultimately could make you miss some opportunities if you don't have your eye just over the horizon i think that last point is really really empowering for our team it's been empowering for our organization because they can start seeing themselves in the journey and the roadmap of this space Versus being dragged along or reacting to the market consistently as we go through the last couple of years.
1: Peter, Joe did something no human has dared to do on the CPG guys. In question, he mentioned year.
0: pricing architecture. I, <laughs> you, I. The minute he said pricing architecture, I knew that your heart started to skip a beat. It was oh. it was music to your ears, wasn't it, Trey?
1: Hey man, we think alike. That's all I can say. First of all, Joe, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here and you know uh, join us as you speak to how an iconic brand and you yourself, congratulations on all the career success as you navigate these strange times and interesting times in CPG and retail history. So I'm going to jump right in and ask you what, at the surface, is a very simple statement in English language, but underneath it is the power-packed kind of how this is done. You know, you already use words like make this the long range plan, everyone's plan, correct? What are the most important needs that your retail partners are looking to you and Coca-Cola to bring to that digital customer engagement strategies? Because you you already discussed retail media is one of them.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think at the most basic, they want the brand power, certainly. And that's not no new from, you know, decades of partnering with retailers in the past. You know, the products that are able to anchor big baskets, which is, I believe, the key to e-commerce are essential, right? So they, they want those brands that are able to do that, right? So we, we have to consistently prove ourselves and build that, that capability. I think second to that and speaking a little bit kind of bluntly, I think they want media investment you know, on platform to, to shore up some of the P and L's. And in some cases it helps. Yes. On the engagement side, but generally I think it's a little bit misapplied. It, it feels a little bit like a trade fund approach. And I think that is, you know, an, a, a, an issue to talk about as an industry in this space. Uh, I think what is missing from the conversation as we talk about what retailers need and what are most important. I think harkens back to the analog days and I think it's the need for traffic. I think, you know, brands bringing in shoppers and consumers. uh, That is a core need of a retailer and it's our role as a brand to help them do that. That has been and will continue to be our focus as an organization. And it harkens back to you know, what I just said. It's, it's making sure the brand power is there. It's yes, investing in retail media and on platform activation to help drive that brand power. But it's also bringing our own capabilities, our marketing power, uh, you know, to that equation as well. Because I think it is at the end of the day, you know, you got to have foot through the door, and the door is now online. You know, but it still is you know a, a crucial need of our, our retail partners. I'm
0: going to leave it up to Shri to dig in a little more on your comment on retail media because that is his favorite topic. And and I I could steal it from him, but I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is I think about that, and I'm sure you've seen it, Joe, that Chief MarTech marketing technology landscape map that went from a bunch of logos to even more logos to even more logos. That just says to me that there are so many disruptive and intriguing capabilities and service providers in this world where it's exploding, right? My question to you is how does your team remain focused on building sustainable capabilities that matter in this space? Like you are presented with a myriad of solutions and options for Coca Cola to invest in and to to pursue those priorities that you've kind of outlined. Really, how do you maintain a degree of skepticism in the long run for whether these things can actually deliver meaningful difference to your system.
2: This is the keep me up at night kind of thing is, are we building something that's going to last? I will go to the, to answering the question directly. Keeping focus, again, you have to go back to putting yourself in the consumer's shoes. Does this add value? And that's the first question. The second question is, is, Is this something that we can sustain over a long period of time? And that's a company evaluation that we look at and say, is this, you know, behavior, if it were to scale and get to a certain threshold, can we still afford to do that? And if not, then what's the alternative? Because if the consumer found it valuable, then you have to find a solution. And so that's where our team would focus in on, you know, what's the path forward there? But sequentially going through those two questions, gives us then the clarity around you know what are what's the immediate next step is it you know go rent or go own you know and, and then also making sure that uh, as it looks to our brands and our category, the dynamics that we know to be true and how consumers want to buy the category historically and the behaviors that have manifested themselves over the last two years, does that solution uh, continue to uh, you know play to the strengths of the category? Because there's a lot of things that are out on the marketplace that may be great fits for other categories with different purchase frequencies, different levels of loyalty, but they may not be something that has applicability, at least in the near term to our categories. So you have to take a very analytical approach of, you know, a, a kind of product roadmap assessment of what that solution is and be willing to be okay with saying no to a lot of stuff. Uh, I think a lot of organizations get very distracted to your point by the huge number of solutions that are out there. Many of them promising, you know, truly uh, utopian kinds of outcomes. And you just don't have capacity to let alone, you know, do all those things. But I'd, I'd say you don't even have capacity to evaluate, you know, all the solutions in many cases. So you have to be really choiceful around quickly establishing a process that allows your teams to go through that sequence of does the consumer find it valuable? Is it something sustainable? Can it apply to our business? Right. And so I think that's that's been our approach for our team. Thank you for that,
1: and now we're gonna jump in. Drum roll, please. Retail media. I strongly believe, Joe, it's one of the most misunderstood words of our industry. You know, some think of it as a profit center for retail, some think of it as advertising, some think of it as shopper marketing, some think of it as, I'm still learning what the heck it is, and some think of it as irrelevant. I mean, how crazy is that, Joe? So let's jump right in and chat what the heck it is, right? So my question for you is, it's obviously a growing area on the PL as well as a growing channel in activating across the customer journeys for those who appreciate the end-to-end customer journey. So somebody has to write the check. Is it a sales trade function or is it a brand media and advertising function? Or in the his- history of CPG, have we created one that's actually a mixture here and we need to adapt and not draw these holy lines in the sand with each other? How do you judiciously coach
2: people to allocate this? Uh, yeah, it, I, I love this question. I love that you're passionate about it. I, I could talk all day about it, but um, to A, I mean, the definition of it is, is today it sits in where do you sit in the organization? Right. And it's, I think that's maturity that we have to get past because in reality, to your second point, it's a mixture to me simply. It's not brand funds. It's not, you know, trade funds. It's the gray space in between that. I can tell you, you know, for us, we centrally manage it. And what I can best describe as a sort of like trust fund, you know, it's different budget centers. It could be brands. It could be customer teams, my own budget that I manage, you know, as the e-commerce GM, but they all come together to amplify our purchasing power and essentially to ensure strategic alignment and flexibility in the deployment of those funds. I think that's a key piece and that's what makes it different than trade funds. In that regard, um, and gets it closer into how we would manage brand spend. I think those funds are deployed. Going back to my trust fund analogy, in common guidelines and at the direction set forth by the trusters. You know the, where those monies were coming from. Those people have direction around how it needs to be spent. We take that definitely into account, but it's managed as a trust holistically, right? So you've got the freedom within a framework. You know to borrow that that terminology. You know I think we've also established really good routines. And measurement capabilities that allow us to pivot the investments based on the rois that we're seeing as well as you know changes in business priorities and that's been crucial over the last you know two years you know add supply chain constraints in that you're really you know the need for agility is pretty high so it's enabled by you know strong agency support uh, and keeping our always on search plans running and optimized on a daily basis But, you know, back to your question on trade versus brands, I think it's a really important issue that's facing the industry. If you approach it like trade funds, your ROI benchmarks are going to be very different uh, and frankly easier to hit because it puts you in short term thinking, probably absent of the brand equity equation. And if you approach it as just brand funds then A, you're going to get lost in this kind of lifetime value equation, trade-offs versus different types of media that you may have to invest in. So it's got to sit in this gray space and we got to get kind of comfortable with that as an industry and as organizations. I think a lot of companies are struggling with it. I would not say that we have figured it out. We're still in that, you know, maturation phase of getting people to think about this with some nuance that it's not just black and white and that these, you know, investments can build brands and drive short term ROIs at the same time which is amazing right if you step back from it and you see that you know you're like wow i mean these dollars work a hell of a lot of hard for us but you know there are some ramifications around how then you need to treat that and the processes that need to evolve to you know enable that to be effective
0: before we continue with this week's episode a brief message about new
2: The network of executive women is a
1: growing community of over 14,000 professionals representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. Visit newonline.org slash events to register. This week, you can attend Influencing a Positive Mindset Through Times of Change on Thursday, January 28, 2022, from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Central Time, where you will have the opportunity to mentor and be mentored by other leading professionals.
0: For more information on how to get involved with NEW, visit newonline.org slash Guys. And don't forget to tune in to the Advancing All Women podcast on Voice America, hosted by new president and CEO, Sarah Alter. Listen every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with rebroadcasts weekly on the Voice America Influencers Channel. And of course, download episodes after the air wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Remember, visit newonline.org slash cpgguys to learn more about becoming a member of New.
0: Now, back to our episode already in progress. A reminder, audience, that we are speaking today with Joe Davis, the Vice President for North America E-Commerce at the Coca-Cola Company. Joe, continuing on the search theme, before investing in paid search or retail media, I'm certain you agree that optimizing organic search is pretty much non negotiable, particularly as you think about maybe not the core items in your portfolio, but the extensions and some of the emerging brands that are in your portfolio. So, from your perspective, what are the content levers you optimize that enable Coca Cola products to appear at the top of organic search results?
2: Mm, yeah, 100% right, though, Peter. Uh, you know, everything starts with having that PDP be optimized. Any investment without that is a non-starter. You know, this goes back to my comment, you know, earlier around kind of what we've had to go through. But we, we call it brilliant basics in our organization. But it's essentially there are fundamentals that have to be developed for every SKU, no matter how big and how small, before it can be a candidate for investment. And you know, that's optimizing image sets to a basic minimum. It's you know, search engine optimized copy. It's keywords inside feature bullets that are relevant. It's ratings and reviews. And, you know, we have standards for each of those that we strive for across all of our SKUs. And then beyond that, you know, enhanced content levels for certain brands and SKUs that we know because of either consumer fit or importance from a priority perspective that we would invest in beyond the basics. That rigor in developing those basics is what we spent a lot of early 2020, you know, quite frankly, building out uh, so that, you know, it became not just... The ecom team's responsibility to fix everything, it became organizationally part of the rhythm that uh, we go through for all of our you know, basic processes, be it creative down through, you know, supply chain development uh, in the space. So, you know, I think the, the, the answer to the question, I think is that you, you can't correct a shoddy product detail page by paying for search. And a lot of people do it, you know, which boggles the mind, but uh, at least if you're, if you're not, if you're trying to run a profitable and sustainable business, you're not going to do that. In my view, you know, consumers are wising up to the sponsored placement carousel and are really looking beyond that to see what's organically, you know, rising to the top spots. And that makes this even more critical, you know, to focus in on that PDP optimization because, you know, it, it pays in dividends for a lot of reasons. But, you know, I think uh, you'll you'll see the importance of that continuing to rise over time.
1: Joe, um, You know, obviously if you have a shoddy PDP and you're putting money into search, that's like the worst, it's like a negative ROI in my eye. So thanks for pointing that out. Uh, But you mentioned supply chain. One of the things that peaks to the top of my mind is if you look at purely the bottom funnel activation, AKA e-commerce, the size of the business compared to the rest of the business is gonna artificially appear minuscule or significantly smaller is the right word probably. And uh, in the supply chain pecking hierarchy, e-commerce is never going to find its way to prioritization. What is your advice to our audience? How do you get it prioritized? Because obviously it's where stuff's getting noticed. And uh, during these interesting times of supply chain
2: volatility, what would you tell our audience to really focus on? Yeah, yeah. great question. Uh, you know, it, it is definitely always fighting for resources uh, in this space, no doubt about it. You know, and and I say I came into this space with with kind of like the skeptics hat and said, I, I'm hearing a lot of we have to go do this. We have to have, you know, these packages. We have to have a different architecture. We have to have a different this. It was always we have to have different. And I started pushing in and saying you actually have to integrate first and you have to show, you know, how you can play in the same sandbox and amplify existing strengths. Once you do that, the belief, the commitment will come. And so, you know, we've we've we have a couple of roles in my organization that are, you know, directly responsible for supply chain activities. You know, and I would say, you know, my advice would be in what we're doing is uh, you know, A, don't go to, you know, to the you know packaging and all the supply chain, you know, uh, you know, constraints right out the gate. Look at your forecasting. Processes, look at your capabilities that you've built out uh, for managing your existing architecture, your existing assortment and start there. Uh, you know, the, the peer players and Amazon, you know, walmart.com to some extent, box, so on and so forth. They're just different, period. So you need to have a different supply chain planning suite for those. I, I, I totally get it. And, you know, relying on brick and mortar forecasts for the omni channel players is, is kind of asking for trouble so we started not with like go redevelop a totally different supply chain no get a better forecast you know process in place that will alleviate a lot of the friction that's immediately caused by this space relative to running a traditional brick and mortar business so upgrading our approach there was one thing the second thing i would say is you know getting alignment with the supply chain team our bottlers our third-party delivery agents out in the market do that early and often. Like bring them into the space, get them acclimated to it, help them build acumen and understanding it, instead of just coming with this request that they will immediately throw in the trash because you're, you know, too small as you said, right? So they have to understand the strategy and the fundamentals first. We'd spend a lot of time with that with those organizations early on uh, in getting them up to speed, and that can be everything from ensuring that, you know, they know the minimum requirements of what a package dimension and weight needs to be for the different platforms that you might be executing against. It could be, you know, also having some insight around uh, what the design of new pack architectures would actually look like going forward. But you have to know when to merge into the existing process and when new ones need to be created. And so I've pushed our team on that. And then the last thing that we're doing is you you do need to explore new fulfillment solutions constantly. Because the market is changing. The solutions out there are changing. You've got ghost kitchens, rapid delivery of, you know, forward deployed inventory. You've got partnering with retailers on their new models. It's always a good idea to have that external eye to what's going on outside your organization that you can pull in and hopefully get somebody freaked out enough that they, you know, say, okay, now, now we got to do something, right? Because we've had some of those key moments where There's been an external moment that's happened around a solution created that became the catalyst for change internally, and so keeping your eye outside the organization is really important. Which seems like a dub, but in a big organization like ours that prides itself on having one of the, if not the best, distribution system in the world, you start getting very insular around how do we operate within this wonderful uh, capability that we've developed over 140 years. You you start you know getting you know a little blind to could be done a different way, right? So that's a key piece.
0: Joe, Coca-Cola has a substantial position in the food service channel. What are the demands for e-commerce capabilities in food service, and how does your team support those demands?
2: Yeah, thank you for asking that, because I feel like we get uh, very focused on the retail components of, of the e-commerce space, rightfully so. But, um, you know, our food service business, is massive, uh, in its own right. And there are huge demand, huge demands in that space. So, you know, first for us, it's all about execution. You know, we have to have the basics there around right assortment, right content, right marketing to support. And, in, and all in the effort of ensuring that a beverage is part of the digital order. As close to as often as we can get it to, you know, what that physical order would have looked like inside the restaurant or what they would have experienced in the drive-through, right? We are absolutely maniacal about that at Coke. Getting beverages inside digital orders for a lot of our food service customers, you know, going outside the aggregators, the the customer desperately wants that to happen. It's a massive profit driver for them. And so not having that transition from the physical to the digital means that this consumer-driven you know, trend is actually a detriment to to the business if that beverage attachment doesn't occur. So it's a huge joint priority for us as we look at the business. You know, my team supports it by creating first the digital playbook playbook for execution, like literally enabling our sales teams and our customers to know what to go do prescriptively and getting a beverage on their menus, getting the right imagery on there, how to message bundles, You know, all the things that they do very effectively in store with their menus and their crew, we need to make sure it gets done automatically, you know, through the platforms that the consumer is engaging with in a digital space. That requires aligning the food service aggregators to that strategy as well and managing the investments towards the space, you know, geared in that manner, be it content, marketing, technology, all of it with the end game of are we driving that beverage execution Yes, media investment, but that's used as a supporting mechanism to drive the execution that we need to see in the marketplace, right? We've got amazing partners in our customer teams on this, uh, in the fields, as well as really good global alignment across markets and how we approach the e-food, you know, growth opportunity. We just finished up an awesome program, uh, with, you know, with one of our partners in the space, uh, and launching Coke Zero Sugar. It highlighted, I think, the approach to bringing big assets, you know, like partnerships that we have uh, in, in in the strategic space, sports, gaming, food, to the table uh, in exchange for, you know, execution and optimization uh, that gets done out in the marketplace, be it through the FSAs, the aggregators, or the customers themselves. Uh, and that impact was felt across big chains, as well as local mom and pop restaurants. And and I think that enablement of, you know, bringing assets to the table in exchange for the execution and uh, helping people understand how to execute, that's the that's the key uh, to this space. Uh, And as I said, massive business for us. So, you know, we spend a a fair bit of time, you know, prioritizing this in, in our organization. And now in honor of one of our hosts, originally being Canadian, I will use a Wayne
1: Gretzky hockey reference, even though Wayne Gretzky is not really Canadian. Uh, but hockey, get the joke. I had to get back at Peter I take for
0: offense. A... I take offense at that comment. Uh, Wayne Gretzky is a national treasure. There, You can say things about my family that I would not let you say about Wayne Gretzky. I'm uh, just going to say that right know.
1: now. I had to get back to Peter for something he did in an earlier episode today right up front. So we're even now. That's, we keep scores, Joe, in case you're wondering. Yeah, yeah, that's who we a are. Chalkboard,
0: you, you don't have an axe to grind. We keep scores, Joe. <laughs> trust me. Uh-huh.
1: So, uh, so um, the, the reference was really, um, leaving the joke apart about Peter, etc., the reference really is the, the when, when, he's, when Wayne Gretzky said it, going where the puck is going, it left a mark all over the world and for those that actually understand the analogy. And we hear the CPG guys, the last question we love to ask is that very analogy What's next in the industry? What are those two or three trends? What's your prediction? And how do you think in in these strange supply chain challenge times, things are going to shape up?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, futurism right now is is a has been a fun topic because everybody's been so wildly wrong. I feel like the last couple of years, but I do love the analogy. I had, I have a puck on my desk at the office that we did with Kroger, which was uh, you know whole, the whole theme of the meeting was view where uh, where the puck is going. So love the analogy, but. You know, first I'd say trend wise, I'll go with the safe ones. Let's put it this way. I think instant transactability, uh, is the key to, you know, the foreseeable future in this space. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have media out there, legacy media, a lot of it that still is not shoppable, uh, and not connected to the ability to drive to a transaction. Uh, I think that it should be, and it should be that way all the time. And the ability of as a brand, to capture a transaction in the moment of uh, having a, a consumer been reached with our message, with our brand uh, is a huge unlock for us. I don't think that's going to go away. I think it's where the short-term sales and lifetime value conversation that we had earlier merge. And, you know, needless to say, we are focusing heavily uh, inside of that space. So I think that instant transactability space and the linkage to media is a really key, you know, long-term trend that we will see. And a lot of tech, I would imagine, will start plowing into that space in some cases there already. I think second to that, I think speed will continue to win and increasingly win uh, when it comes to servicing demand. I think quick commerce, uh, I think agile fulfillment will be the unlock Uh, to that. uh, I think you see trends kind of pointing this way already over the years and most recently, you know, continuing to favor the fast in the marketplace and i mean that from a delivery perspective primarily the closer in to the point of you know sale that you can be uh, and get that product to the end consumer i think the better off you are i don't think for us you can't really win in an expandable high immediate consumption category and rely on 2 day or longer shipping to get it all done you can rely on some of it to get it done but you know longer term it's got to be fast and so you know the economics alone i think will show over the long term, that favorability and getting more forward-deployed local inventory to be able to service demand, uh, I think that that bottom-line equation supports that thesis, at least in our category. I think, lastly, though, um, and and what I while I've not seen this trend be actioned very well in the short term, I do think there's a longer-term trend of you know that that disciplined growth will prevail here. And what I mean by that is, you have a ton of innovation. Happening, you've got a lot of reactivity in the marketplace. You've got superfluous amounts of change and disruption happening for a lot of reasons, and ultimately a lot of chicken without head behavior uh, that's kind of happening across the the organizations that I that I see. And at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have companies that are building discipline in their organizations and enabling processes, as opposed to just kind of like thoughtless experimentation, structured chaos. Like true whack-a-mole kind of behavior. And um, you know those are going to be the ones that they have built those processes and act with discipline. They will emerge with differentiation. And I'll probably run away with the large portion of the opportunity at the end of the day in the space, at least an outside share you know of what that's going to look like. I think there's far longer list of things uh, to my earlier points that we've chosen not to do in our organization than the things that we've chosen to do. And that's important because I think it creates focus, A, but it requires that you've done the due diligence to assess the opportunity versus kind of this ready, fire, aim approach that wastes bullets that you probably can't afford to lose. Um, So that disciplined organizational approach to the space for all the things that I mentioned before in our conversation is super important. And I think it's integration with the business, it's broad acumen and understanding of the space And it's very choiceful assessments of where you're going to place some bets. At least in our organization, that has been a strong catalyst for our growth and sustainability in the space. It may not fit every organization. Maybe there are others that need to be a little bit more cavalier in the approach uh, and have different time frames and brand equity positions where you may need to be more aggressive. But I'd say longer term, the discipline will likely prevail, I think, is a trend in the space.
1: As we uh, close this episode out, Joe, one of the things you kind of said as you answered this question on trends was uh, media and shoppability of media. You know, this is my personal opinion, opinion of one, not representing any brand. I'm not asking you to represent a brand. I'd just love to know Joe Davis's opinion like mine. In these times, 100% of media can be shoppable. I believe that any brand should endeavor to get as close to 100 as possible a 100 is probably never possible, but a 95 is certainly possible. And um, I think gone are the days where brand equity needs to be a separate message ecosystem for the simple reason that the consumer is looking
2: for end-to-end. Thoughts? Yeah. I uh, had this conversation last night with my wife, who's in the industry, actually. I'm 100% with you, uh, Shree. I don't see a reason why you would, as a brand marketer or a media strategist, not want your media to be shoppable. If it can be, make it. Uh, there uh, is definitely a, a role to play in building brand equity. It can still do both. A buy now button on something does not to me, you know, erode your brand equity in any, in, in any way. You know, we've had conversations about this that, you know, when you, certain organizations and conversations I've had, they label you as like, well, you are anti brand building. And you're like, absolutely not. I think that there's uh, a space in, you know, driving lifetime value. And short-term sales, as we said, that this space can afford. And this is the future, you know, of, of moving it forward. And, you know, ultimately brand equity is hard to measure, by the way, you know, so, yeah, you know, you need to lean on the things that you know are driving short-term results, but also be looking at is the way that they're driving the results, the creative that gets deployed, the conversation that happens around the message, is that creating, you know, a relationship that Supersedes the transaction. If I can get you to buy something, then great, but I want to also continue talking to you as a consumer. So I think that media needs to become more one to one, yes, targeted, so that that consumer feels like they are being spoken to as an individual versus broad banner ad to, you know, those things that are just, you know, like billboards, right? I think, you know, there's, there still is technology and rigor in that process that we need to create to make it more of a true relationship, but it should still be grounded on driving a transaction. So I think the aspirations three of getting it to 100%, I'm all on board with, and see no reason why an organization wouldn't wanna pursue that. And it does not mean that you're you know, giving up on building equity as a brand.
1: And folks, you heard it right here on the CPG guys, buy it now button does not mean erosion of brand equity. Thank you, Joe. I, I subscribe to the exact same theory.
0: I want to remind our audience that all of our content, our podcasts that you can subscribe to through over 40 platforms, links to our social media accounts, including LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and what have you, and a list of all the podcasts that we like to listen to when we don't listen to ourselves, just go to cpgguys.com. It's absolutely free. Wow, Joe, this was such a thoughtful and information-packed conversation. Shri and I are both really grateful that you took the time to speak with us about how Coca-Cola is approaching e-commerce in North America and where you are focusing your activities both in the present and thinking towards the future. Thank you for joining us.
2: You guys have created an amazing forum for the industry to have conversations like this. Absolutely love it. Appreciate you guys extending the offer. Well,
0: we we are, as I said, very honored to have you. And I'll remind our audience that in the digital liner notes of this podcast, you'll find a link to Joe's LinkedIn profile. You can learn more about him. Um, so great to have you on as a guest. That I'm, I'm more proud to call you my friend. So thank you, Joe. Shri. What did you think? I, he touched on retail media. He touched on pricing architecture. I mean, you were you were like a giddy little schoolgirl.
1: Absolutely. Ho, 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 except it's four weeks late. And, you know, it's January the 19th today uh, as our audience listens in. But here's what I'm thinking, Peter. You know, for most, the fiscal runs January to December. It's mid-January. All the power-packed insights Joe has thrown at you, use it, folks. You've got 11 and a half months to put it to good work, to hit your objectives for the year, no matter what they may be. And when I refer to objectives, I'm not referring just to dollars and cents e-commerce. Joe gave you so much to think about brand equity, content, just the whole spectrum of making sure you show up well for the most important thing, which is the consumer or in the retailers eyes, the customer. Thank you, Joe. Power packed, man.
2: Yeah,
0: thank you. Uh, for me, Shree, I loved the, one of the last comments, which is, and I agree with you. That we'll just make it a chorus. Uh, all media should be shoppable at this point, and it it does not detract from the brand. I frankly believe it builds the brand. That being said, I want to thank you, Shri, for joining me on this journey. We're into 2022. That what a I mean, we've had some right out of the gate in January, some serious players come on the CVG Guys podcast and talk about this omnichannel digital transformation going on. So can't wait for what we've got in store for the rest of 2022. And with that, I'll say to our audience, thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye.